This podcast is brought to you by Salon London as part of our sex and drugs and rock and roll season. Here, Professor Barbara Sahakian explains all about smart drugs or neurocognitive enhancers. Well, we were talking about smart drugs, so let's do it a different way. How many of you smoke cigarettes or take uh, coffee, have, have coffees in the morning? So there you go. You're all using nicotine and caffeine. So basically, those are smart drugs that you can get hold of quite easily. Now, they're not as effective as some of the drugs I'll be talking about tonight, but um, actually, I did a study some time ago uh, using nicotine as a cognitive enhancer for patients with Alzheimer's disease. And nicotine actually improved attention and concentration in normal young people, uh, normal healthy elderly, and also in patients with Alzheimer's disease. And that study, um, I gave it as a subcutaneous injection. I didn't have people smoke. So uh, that's great. So we'll be talking about the how it acts in the brain, and we'll also talk about the ethical issues. So I just wanted to get started, because I don't want you to think that I'm in Cambridge and spending everybody's taxpayers' money just working on smart drugs for healthy people. I'm actually very involved in trying to find cognitive-enhancing drugs for people with neuropsychiatric disorders like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I co-run a clinic in Cambridge at Edinburgh's Hospital for adults with ADHD. And about 50% of people who had ADHD as a child still has it as an adult. So they wouldn't be able to hold down jobs and, you know, plan and, and, and do things successfully if they weren't on medication frequently. I've also helped develop the drugs called Aracet Denepazil. I don't know how many of you know those drugs, but I do the proof of concept studies for those. And those are the treatments that we currently have as NICE approved treatments for Alzheimer's disease. They improve concentration and attention. So that's really how I spend my time in Cambridge, is trying to find cognitive enhancing drugs for these people with neuropsychiatric disorders of brain injury. So I work on schizophrenia, I work on depression, I work on Alzheimer's disease and ADHD. But in the process of doing that, of course, we do do studies in healthy humans, and then we find that these drugs also enhance them. So we'll be talking about that. So we're focusing on uh, smart drugs tonight, but I just wanted to point out that there's other ways to uh, boost your cognition. So one of the best ways is physical exercise, because uh, physical exercise is good for your mood, it's good for your cognition, and of course it's good for your body. So uh, exercise has been shown to increase neurogenesis, new brain cells, um, especially in uh, important areas like the hippocampus in the brain, which is responsible for your consolidating of your memories and so forth, remembering things. And another way to uh, boost your cognition, of course, is through education, which is what you're doing tonight, so that's very good. So, so I work with all three of these drugs in my laboratory and other ones as well, but I work a lot with a methylphenidate. You might know it as Ritalin. It is the most common treatment in this country uh, when you're using a drug treatment for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what it does is it boosts these chemicals in the brain called dopamine and noradrenaline, and they're very important for just tweaking and, and, and homing in and, and really getting the best out of your uh, cognition. So they neuromodulate, as we say, cognitive function. And they're very important. In uh, the USA, they also use other drugs like Adderall, which is uh, amphetamine salts. Um, and uh, a more recent treatment for ADHD is this, oops, is this drug uh, atomoxetine here. 
And that's uh, relatively selectively boosts a chemical in the brain called noradrenaline. And people were very interested in that drug, and we've been hearing about um, drug abuse. Um, and, and the stimulant drugs like methylphenidate and uh, Adderall have some abuse potential because they are stimulants. Whereas atomoxetine, because it doesn't affect the dopamine system in the brain, uh, has no abuse potential, actually. So it's a perfectly safe drug, and that's why people have been interested in it. Now, if you've got ADHD, and I, I've worked with children and with adults with ADHD, um, obviously we use a lot of cognitive uh, techniques with children, psychological therapies. Uh, but if you do have severe ADHD, you tend to need a, a drug treatment as, as well as a, a psychosocial treatment. And then I'm going to talk about this drug here, modafinil, because there's a lot of interest in that. So um, modafinil Provigil was licensed in 1997 uh, for the disorder narcolepsy, and that's um, excessive daytime sleepiness. And the way I explain it is that you, if you doze off, well, maybe you've just had too much alcohol and it's a bit late in the evening, but if I doze off while I'm speaking, that's narcolepsy. So... Um, but what people have found is it's also uh, used in America, now it's licensed in America for um, sleep disturbance due to shift work because it prevents accidents during, for shift workers. So it's a very good awake and alerting agent, and a lot of people use this drug for jet lag. So I'll be talking quite a lot about that. Now, as you can see, it, it affects a lot of different uh, neurotransmitters. It affects dopamine and noradrenaline, which we've been talking about here, but also uh, glutamatergic mechanisms. So in my laboratory, how do we measure cognition? How do I know that cognition's improving? Well, um, I started using touchscreen technology before it was on everybody's phone and in banks and things like that. But in those days, the, the so-called portable touchscreens weren't so portable. But now we do have iPads, so we can actually put tests on an iPad, which works out really well. I'm going to show you one of the tests now so you can get a feel for what it's like. So this is called working memory. Now, we use working memory all the time. So we have this thing called executive function, and that's like higher-level cognitive function. It's planning, problem-solving, all those sorts of things. And so we have to use working memory as a component of any complex um, sort of psychological process that we use. So when we're doing something like planning or problem solving, we will be using a component of working memory. And so like when we're putting, like when Helen's putting together tonight, she might be, you know, looking up people's websites and thinking who would go well together. And then as she thinks, so oh, that one, I don't know, get rid of them. They're not so interesting and maybe they don't fit in so well. And so she'll be updating what she's putting together and things like that. And I do the same when I give talks. I would be doing the same sort of thing. And that's, that's your working memory. And simple working memory is when you might look up a number in a phone book. So you might look up a number and it's 01223-331209, 01223-331209, and you're sort of saying it and dialing it. And then you close the book. And if you get through, it's fine. But if you don't get through, you suddenly think, what was that number? I don't remember it anymore. And that's because you threw it away, because you don't want to remember lots of things. That sometimes you only need them for a short period of time, and you don't want all that stuff just sitting there in your brain because there won't be any uh, space for, for other thoughts, complicated thoughts. So this is working memory, uh, and it, it, it's done on a touch-sensitive screen or the iPad. Can, you can do it on there too. And what I would say to you is I want you to look through these red boxes to find a blue square, and when you find a blue square, I want you to move it over here 
But the main thing to remember is once you've found a blue box inside a red box, the computer will never hide it in that same box again. So don't ever go back to a box where you found a blue square. So maybe what you might do is touch one box, you open it up, there's nothing there, nothing in that one, nothing in that one. Oh great, a blue square. So then you move it over to that column, and then you start to look for the next one. And you start maybe there again and come down here. And now you know you have to jump over that box there, and if you touch it, that's an error. So you skip over it, and that's how that's done, and that's working memory. And working memory is related both to our creative IQ, our fluid intelligence, and it's also related to what we call crystallized intelligence, or IQ, which is what the waste measures. So it's a very important uh, process, working memory. And it's affected in most of the neuropsychiatric disorders, which is one reason I'm very interested in. It's also affected in many brain injury patients. So we can actually put people in a scanner and image their brain while they're doing these tasks. So that lets us know what neural networks in the brain are being activated while they're actually performing this task. And you can see somebody lying in here touching the screen and doing this task. And what happens is we see that there's an interesting neural network, but importantly there's this bit of the brain, which is dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. Very important high-level part of the brain that helps uh, um, really with a lot of our what we call executive tasks, higher-level tasks. What you can also see in this slide is that when we've given it to uh, Cambridge undergraduates, methylphenidate or Ritalin, you can see that their performance improves. So not only does their performance improve, but they get an increased efficiency in the neural network that's involved in doing this task, which includes this area of the brain, dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. So your brain doesn't have to work as hard, but you're getting a better performance. So that's what this drug is doing. So we've given... Um, Modafinil also to patients and people with uh, healthy people who are doing the working memory task. And as you can see here, modafinil also improves working memory in healthy volunteers, as you can see here, and also in patients who have first-episode psychosis. So many of this group will go on to develop schizophrenia. And we're looking at uh, modafinil as an add-on to their antipsychotic medication to see whether we can improve their you know, functional outcome and quality of life. Because basically, we have the antipsychotic me medication, which helps control the hallucinations and delusions, but they still have a lot of cognitive problems, which is why they might not go back to university if they de develop schizophrenia while they were at university or they, while they can't hold down jobs. So we're trying to improve that outcome. But you can see that basically the drug is doing the same thing in healthy volunteers as it is in patient groups. It's uh, functioning as a cognitive enhancer. And it's particularly good for these high levels of difficulty when you're having a really difficult problem that you have to do. Well, there's increasing prescriptions for Ritalin, and of course it's being used quite widely, Ritalin, um, on college campuses, especially in the United States where they've done a lot of surveys. So they frequently find about 16 to 20 percent of students on college campuses in America using uh, Ritalin as a, as a smart drug. And here you can see a sort of description where they call it vitamin R or R-ball. And the professor says, people find this drug enticing because they can get their academic work done quicker or do more in a shorter period of time. So for those students who put off their work or are not very strong academically, they find that uh, using it uh, re remedies their problem.
And um, you might have seen this recently. Um, it just came out on the 13th of August. And you can see that the quality, the Care Quality Commission uh, noted that the prescriptions for methylphenidate Ritalin in England have uh, risen enormously. So there's an increase of 56% in the past five years. So this will obviously be uh, in part due to more detection of the problem of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but it's almost certainly uh, also the increasing um, pressure put on um, prescribers to, to, to let students use these drugs. And um, at my own university, University of Cambridge, the students decided to do an online survey uh, with the Varsity newspaper. And what they found is that one in 10 students there were taking uh, cognitive enhancing drugs. And you can see here that the global market share of modafinil is enormous. And, you know, narcolepsy is not that common a situation. <laughs> So we noticed that it's estimated that around 90% of modafinil is being used off-label by healthy individuals. Now, my worry, of course, is that uh, in this country, a lot of people are getting it um, over the Internet, which is a very dangerous way to buy prescription-only drugs. You have no idea what you're actually buying and what you're being sent. So I've been very interested in, uh, besides the ethical issues, about why people are using these drugs, why are healthy people using them, and, of course... One main reason is the increased performance, the competitive edge. People want to do that better, that much better in the exams and get a higher mark than the next student and get into that better university or whatever. And uh, it's very interesting because uh, in 2008, the Academy of Medical Sciences did a report and they showed that even just a small 10% improvement in a memory score could lead to a higher A-level grade or degree class. So you can see why people might be in, tempted to use it. And very recently, we published this study which shows that actually um, modafinil makes tasks seem more interesting. So you did the working memory task. Did everybody love it? Do you love, love it while you were doing it? It was really fun, wasn't it? <laughs> well, we had everybody rate the tasks after they did them. And, and so they would have rated that spatial working memory task and how pleasurable it was. And uh, sadly, under placebo, you can see it's all right, but it's not that pleasurable. But you notice on the modafinil, suddenly it's so, so much more pleasurable. And so I often hear this from people, that they've been putting things off. So they've been putting off studying for the exams, putting off writing that essay, putting off doing their taxes. And uh, suddenly it doesn't seem so difficult to get stuck into the task. So that's a, another reason. Of course, this is going to be very important for patient groups because a lot of patients, unfortunately, have uh, apathy, difficulty getting going and so forth. So drugs like this might be very useful in that case. Well, with Lord Aradazi, he was very interested in looking at modafinil in uh, doctors because uh, he's the surgeon at Imperial College uh, in, in, here in London, and he's uh, head of surgery. And... He, his his um, surgeons were mainly using caffeine to stay awake and alert at night during operations. And, of course, uh, many of you who are caffeine users and take a lot of coffee will know that sometimes you start to feel a bit jittery and maybe get tremor, which is a common side effect of caffeine. And uh, what he was saying was, of course, this is not a good side effect for a surgeon. You really don't, <laughs> don't want them having that. So there might be a better cognitive enhancing drug. 
So we actually did go and um, sleep deprived. I made my student do this study. I didn't do it myself because if you've got to stay awake all night, you have to be young and fit. And so uh, anyway, she, uh, Charlotte Housden, along with Colin Sugden, uh, did stay awake all night and look after these uh, people and, and test them after they'd uh, been sleep deprived. And what we found was that when they had placebo, they weren't doing so well, as you can see here. But when they had modafinil, they did very well indeed. So um, modafinil both uh, reduced their impulsive behavior and actually increased and improved their cognitive flexibility for problem solving. So what that test is about is um, you have to solve, a, solve some problems, and if you don't get the solution first time, you have to think of another solution. And these uh, doctors under modafinil were very quick to switch to the correct solution, but under uh, placebo they, they weren't uh, very fast to do so at all. So uh, it seems to be an interesting drug from that point of view. So why, why should we be concerned about these drugs? Well, I mentioned the Internet buying and some of the safety issues, and those are very important, of course. Um, but also there's, there's um, problems that have to do with the sort of neuroethical issues, such as coercion. So um, a lot of students come up to me and they say, um, you know, I don't really want to use these drugs, but I feel pressure put upon me to use them because I know that all the other students are using it, and I feel I'm going to fall behind if I don't use it. So we have to be concerned about that. When I've recently worked with the Joint Academies, that's the Royal Academy, the um, Academy of Medical Sciences, the British Academy, and the uh, Royal Academy of Engineering, and um, we looked at uh, human enhancement and, and the future of work, and it was there, it was sort of, we looked at the idea that perhaps in the future, you know, these bus drivers who have been driving children home at night uh, from abroad and then falling asleep and unfortunately having accidents and children were getting killed, I mean, you know, perhaps in the future they will be having to take maybe the insurance companies or other uh, people employing them will want them to be taking drugs such as modafinil. But I wanted to point this out because um, this will explain a lot for any of you who have uh, teenage children or whatever. But, uh, you know, your frontal lobes don't fully come into, into uh, adulthood until late adolescence, early young adulthood. So basically our brains are still in development uh, for quite some time, from the time that we're born right to uh, the late teens, early 20s. And... So you have to think, well, if you have a, uh, a psychiatric or neuropsychiatric disorder such as childhood attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and you can't concentrate and you can't focus in school and you can't do your schoolwork, well, maybe you do need a drug treatment. But if you're a healthy uh, person with a healthy developing brain, what are the effects of putting uh, drugs into a normally developing brain? So we do have to think about that as well. And then some people think we might be over-enhanced. Uh, forgetting is a, is a very therapeutic process. If I thought of all the stupid things I've ever said, then, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably never be able to come out the door. So basically, sometimes when we put our foot in our mouths and we think that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, we, we had an unpleasant memory, we want to forget it, and that's very therapeutic. So these are some of the uh, reasons, and we can discuss some more later. So I'm going to wrap up because uh, I know you're a lively audience, and I'm sure you have a lot to say about this yourself. Uh, but I'd just like to say that uh, there's a neuroethics society, in case anybody's interested in, in joining. And uh, here's my book, Bad Moves. It talks about uh, 
how decision-making goes wrong and the ethics of smart drugs. So I talk about uh, in mania and depression and, and things like that, how we make decisions uh, that aren't so such good quality when we're um, uh, under emotional uh, pressure, and also the difference between our heart decision-making, which is our emotional decision-making, and our cold decision-making, which is our sort of non-emotional, cold sort of planning uh, decisions. <coughs> And also the ethics of smart drugs. So um, it's over here for £10. I'd be happy to sign it if anybody wants to buy it. Um, and then we we do up in Cambridge have a science festival, and I'm a patron, so I hope you'll all join us. It's usually in March and come up there too. So thank you very much. Bad Moves, How Decision-Making Goes Wrong and the Ethics of Smart Drugs is available from Oxford University Press. If you want to hear more about Salon London, we're at www.salon-london.com.